John 18. So we've been uh, exploring the idea of the theme of unlocking. Uh, what is God inviting us to unlock? What is God unlocking within us? Uh, what does it look like to allow God to unearth that which God created us to be, how God created us to live, to live into our true selves uh, created in the image of God. And we've been uh, looking at mainly passages in Matthew through Lent where Jesus is interacting with the religious authorities and, and how the religious authorities are clearly not happy with Jesus what he's teaching, uh, the following that uh, he has now. And so uh, now we're, the passage we're looking at today is in John, and we're going to be in John 18. And I want to start a little uh, further back than the text that we had assigned for today. I want to start with uh, beginning in John 18, where Jesus is arrested. And so the religious authorities, it's come to a head for the religious authorities. And last week, part of the text we looked at was they they wanted to wait until after the Passover because Passover time in Jerusalem is just jam-packed with people. So many pilgrims have come to Jerusalem, uh, converged on Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the, the Exodus celebration uh, that God freed them, liberated them from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And so the religious elite are saying, well, let's wait until after the Passover when the crowds are gone because this isn't a good time. But it has come to such a head for them that they decide to have Jesus arrested. Now, and so when Jesus had finished praying, he left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, said Jesus. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, Because how does that happen? They drew back and fell to the ground. Uh, So what's interesting, in our English translation, it says, I am he. But in in the Greek, in the original uh, text, it simply says, I am. When they say, when Jesus says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am. That's all he says. I am. And they draw back and fall to the ground. Now, this goes all the way back to the scene in the ancient Hebrew scriptures where Moses sees a bush that is burning and it's not being consumed, it's not being burned up. And Moses draws near, and God speaks from the burning bush and says, take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. And Moses and God have this conversation together, and God says, you're going to go to Egypt, and you're going to be my spokesperson, and you're going to bring my people out of slavery. And Moses says, who who should I say sent me? 
And the voice from the bush simply says, say, I am sent you. This beautiful personal name of God, the, the best we uh, know how to pronounce it is probably it pronounced something like Yahweh. God says, tell them Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be sent you. And thousands of years later, here in this garden, these soldiers come with the chief priest to arrest Jesus, and Jesus speaks those ancient words, I am. And they draw back and fall to the ground. Why do they fall to the ground? I think there is something going on here where they are on holy ground. They are on holy ground. And this is a perfect time for Jesus to get away while they're on the ground, uh, but he doesn't. It was kind of funny. Um, Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you I am he. Again, in in the Greek, it just simply says I am. I told you I am. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. I have not lost one of these you gave me. So I want to skip forward to, uh, they arrest Jesus, and uh, they take him to Annas the high priest, and then to Caiaphas. So Annas was the high priest before Caiaphas. Uh, Now Caiaphas is the high priest. Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and then they take him to Pilate. So verse 28, the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So this is fascinating to me. They've, been, uh, they've arrested Jesus, and then all night long they've been interrogating him. It's an illegal uh, process that they've gone about in arresting Jesus and interrogating him. And now they bring him to Pilate, and... and uh, they won't go into the palace because uh, if they enter into the, this palace, which is Gentile area, they will become ceremonially unclean and they won't be able to be a part of the Passover festival. And so it's just the irony uh, of what they have done to Jesus, and yet we don't want to be unclean. Uh, they've already made themselves unclean in the whole process of the way they've gone about arresting and interrogating Jesus. Now, uh, Pilate would normally not be in Jerusalem, uh, but he would go to Jerusalem during big festivals in case there's some type of uprising. He, he wants to show Roman power and that uh, he will be there to shut down any type of resistance that occurs. And so uh, Pilate would stay in this place. Um, this is the palace he was staying in. This is a model of ancient Jerusalem. And if you go to the next slide, you can see uh, the palace he's staying in. Then to the left is the temple. And notice how the palace is just slightly taller than the temple. This was Rome's way of saying, listen, we will let you have your religious ceremonies. We will let you do what you do. But we have the power here. And we will shut you down should you resist us in any way. And the religious elite of the day 
had become friendly with Rome so they could maintain their power, so they could maintain their temple, so they could maintain their position. And so when they see Jesus and the things Jesus is doing, they recognize this guy is not only threatening us and our power and our position, but this guy could also get us in trouble with Rome, and we need to kill him. We need to shut him down. And so they stay on the outside of the palace, and then Pilate is in the palace. And Pilate, verse 29, came out to the religious leaders and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Now, Jesus had already told his disciples uh, no less than three times that he would be handed over uh, to the chief priests and that he would be crucified. Now, under Roman law, no one was permitted to crucify anyone except the Romans. So the chief priests cannot crucify Jesus unless Rome allows it to happen. This is why they hand Jesus over to Pilate, because they want to crucify Jesus. They don't want to simply stone Jesus. They want to crucify Jesus. And so they hand him over to Rome so that Pilate will make the judgment and let them crucify Jesus. 33, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? And so uh, Pilate has probably heard that uh, people have referred to Jesus as the king of the Jews. This, uh, This has many layers to it. This is a threat to Herod the Great, who Rome has put in place as their puppet king over the Jews. Uh, it could be a threat to Rome. And so Pilate is saying, so are you king of the Jews? And, and the question itself is somewhat ironic because what Pilate is looking at is this, this poor traveling rabbi who comes from the wrong part of the country to ever even dream of becoming king. And here is this poor traveling rabbi. And Pilate looks at him and says, are you the king of the Jews, and, and Jesus says, so did you think of that yourself, or did someone else put that in your mind? What Jesus, in essence, is saying, next slide, the real question for Pilate is, who are you, and, and who do you answer to? Uh, Jesus is going right to the core with Pilate and going after what, what's within you. Are you uh, do you govern out of your own self, or do you govern out of pressure? Are you going to be pressured by the chief priests? Are you going to be pressured by what Rome thinks and what Rome wants you to do in this instance? How how are you governing? In other words, Pilate, are you your own man? Or do you govern out of pressure? How do you make decisions? How do you govern? How do you go about doing the things you do? Is it by what other people think? Or is it knowing deep down what is right and good and true and beautiful? I think this speaks to the heart for us today. 
how do we make decisions? How do we govern the areas we have been blessed to have influence in? Is it out of pressure? Is it out of what other people think? Or is it out of a deep sense of God's spirit moving within us, guiding us and directing us into what is right and true and beautiful and hopeful? Who are you? Who do you answer to? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Uh, We've talked about the history and how 200 years previous, Judas Maccabees had entered Jerusalem and took it by force, uh, freed the Jewish people from Syrian rule, and uh, set up the Maccabean dynasty. And Jesus is saying here, listen, my, my kingdom is not like other kingdoms. My kingdom is not like the Roman kingdom. My kingdom is not like previous Jewish kingdoms like Judas Maccabees or others. Otherwise, if it was, we would resort to violence. We would take this place by force. But that is not the nature of my kingdom. Uh, Next slide. Jesus' kingdom may not have its origins in this world, but it is for this world. If we seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of shalom, we will not be consumed by an allegiance to the kingdoms of the world. Jesus invites us into a deeper, more beautiful picture of human flourishing. Jesus calls us into something so different than what the kingdoms of the world have to offer. Jesus invites us into this way of being, a totally different way of being human in the world. Jesus comes and shows us what it looks like to be fully human and to live as God created us to live. And he invites us into an allegiance to a different kind of kingdom. Uh, Jesus had earlier in his teaching said, seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will take care of themselves. He, He invites us to have an allegiance to a different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom of shalom. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of recognizing the humanity of everyone. It's a kingdom that allows joy and delight and peace to flourish throughout the whole world. And so Jesus, standing before Pilate, says, no, my kingdom, it's a different kind of kingdom. It's not a kingdom that's going to resort to violence. It's a kingdom that brings hope and healing and a different way of being human in the world. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. 
but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. So they have an opportunity here. The Jewish leaders have an opportunity here to make right what they have made wrong. And instead, they choose, give us Barabbas. This ancient practice they had that uh, apparently the Romans would release a Jewish prisoner once a year, and they choose someone who had taken part in a previous uprising rather than releasing Judas. And, And Pilate finds himself caught in quite a bind here. Jesus comes and says, this is part of why I've come, to testify to the truth. So, if I can have the next slide. Uh, Jesus came to testify the truth. How, how do we listen to truth? How do we listen to the voice of Jesus? Uh, one simple start is simply immersing ourselves in the gospel story and seeing how Jesus lived. Uh, immersing ourselves in the teachings of Jesus, seeing what Jesus taught, and allowing it to sink deeply within us. Uh, Theologians talk about the two books, the book of Scripture and the book of nature, and that when we immerse ourselves in the Scriptures and we immerse ourselves in nature, which is revealing the glory of God, we draw closer to the heart of God. Uh, How do we listen to the voice of Jesus? We we simply study his life and allow it to become a part of our life. Uh, When Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth, uh, he's, he's not talking about just getting more information. I think for us in our, our Western minds, often we, we think, uh, well, I, I need to study more, I need to learn more, I need to uh, examine more, and, and here is Jesus. Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus had previously said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Standing right before Pilate is truth. Truth is a person. Jesus came to reveal truth, and and truth is less about getting more information and more about experiencing the risen Christ. Uh, The ancient mystic Meister Eckhart said, spirituality is more about subtraction than it is addition. That that we often think i got to add more stuff to my life in order to become more spiritual. And Meister Eckhart's saying, no, 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 no. That's already hardwired into you. You don't have to add anything to what God has already planted deep within you. What we're called to do is subtract, to let go of the things that hinder us, to let go of the things that get so easily piled on to our lives. We, we live these busy, hectic lives, and we, we are adding so many things to our lives. And, and Meister Eckhart says it's, it's time to subtract 
Because if you want to tap into truth, if you want to tap into that which God has implanted within you from the very beginning, release the things that have a grip on you and tap into that which has been there from the very beginning. If we believe that God has planted within us love and beauty and truth from the very beginning, we don't need to add those things to our life. They're already there. What we need to do is wake up to the things that are suppressing the love, the beauty, the truth that is already within us. God invites us to release those things, subtract those things, so that we can live out of who he created us to be. What does it look like to unlock, to allow God to unlock those things that have been there from the very beginning and live out of that beauty, that truth, that love that God has planted within us when he created us in his image from the very beginning? What if we stopped and listened to the Spirit within us? What if we took time each day and recognized God has given us the gift of his spirit that abides within us? What if we stopped? What if before we spoke in that meeting or with our family or wherever we find ourselves, what if we stopped and reflected and just simply asked God, what is it you are inviting me into in this moment? How can I contribute in this moment? What if we stopped and simply listened to the Spirit? So this ancient story of Moses in the burning bush and God saying, I am who I am, and this story of Jesus in the garden, and they come to arrest him and he simply says, I am. The ancient rabbis say this idea of God's name, Yahweh, many rabbis believe it's simply the sound of breathing. That every breath we take, we're saying the name of God. That the the first thing you say when you come out of the womb is God's name. And in your dying breath, you are speaking the name of God. Yeah. Way. What if we stopped and just paid attention to God's spirit within us? The Hebrew and the Greek word for spirit also means breath. What if we stopped and paid attention to our breath and we recognize that with every breath we take, we are speaking God's name. That God has been there all along. God is ever present to us. And God has given us the gift of breath, the gift of his spirit, and is speaking to us. And if we just stopped and listened for the breath of God, the voice of God, within each of us, within each other, because we need the voice of the community because we do live in a fallen and broken world, right? So we, we get it wrong. 
but when we're living together in the beauty of human flourishing that God invites us into, we're going to begin to get it right more often. And Jesus, who is truth, stands before us and invites us to listen. I have come to speak truth. And Jesus, the person, is truth. And we all are invited into this way of being in the world. Jesus came to give himself for us. Uh, It's interesting to read this story and see how the religious leaders are staying outside when Jesus is inside. And Jesus, who somehow mysteriously, we are told, lives within each one of us. What would it look like to not be so easily distracted by externals, to not be so worked up by externals and simply pay attention to the Spirit of Jesus who is inside us and live from that, not from the things that so easily distract, not from the things that get us worked up, but to live from the presence of Jesus his spirit, breathing in, breathing out. Uh, Jesus gave us this gift. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and he took it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The, the, the ironic thing is the chief priests want Jesus dead so that no one will follow him. And it is the je- death of Jesus that draws people to him. It is in the death of Jesus that we find our true Passover, our true freedom, our true liberation. Jesus died so that we can live. Let's pray together. God, help us to pay attention to your presence within us. The gift of breath moving in and out. And God, when we encounter others, may we pay attention to the fact that your breath is moving in and out of them as well. God, when we look at other people, may we see their humanity. May we see image bearers. And God, would you this morning shape us and mold us evermore into the people you've created us to be. Take our hearts and our minds, our bodies, our whole being, and make us new again. God, as we take the bread and dip it in the cup, may we remember the gift of your life and your death 
and the power of your resurrection. And may we live from that, God. Help us to stop. That when we get distracted, when we get busy, when the frenzy of life is going on all around us, God, remind us to stop and simply breathe and remember your presence within us and ask you to lead us and guide us by your Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.